Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Hey, Venture. Before we begin the message, I want to take a moment and pray. I want to pray for our country, pray for our church. Specifically, I want to pray. I've been troubled as I just keep reading more stories of acts of violence against Asian Americans. And we've seen it here in the Bay Area. You see it across the country. That The story of the many that were shot in Atlanta this week, that's so troubling in so many different levels. That story has a lot of complexity to it. But we're seeing this consistently enough. And you know, one of the things I love about our church, God's blessed our church that we have people from so many different countries. And he has blessed our church with strong congregations from Korea, from China, from India. So many Asian Americans that make our church what it is. And many of them live in fear as they hear about these kind of attacks. It's just evidence of some of the trouble that's going on in our country. And I just thought, let's take a minute and let's pray. So I'm going to ask, will you pray with me? Father, we do come before you. I, I don't understand this. I hate racism, and I know you hate it in every form. But Lord, I pray specifically across our country. I pray for those Asian Americans, those from countries in Asia. Lord, we thank you for their presence here. Lord, I, I thank you that our church is a church that's filled with people from all over the world. I thank you for the different congregations that are represented across Asia. Lord, I pray, whatever is fueling this, that you would root it out. Lord, that we would be willing to address racism in any form in our country. Lord, most of all, we just pray for the protection of life. We pray that you would empower law enforcement. We pray that you'd empower officials. As you tell us in Romans 13, you've given us authorities so that we can live peaceful lives. Lord, I pray for those who, who live in fear because of this. Their kids are afraid. Lord, I just pray that you would bring a sense of healing and peace that can only come through you and in Christ. And Father, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this weekend, we want to continue this series where we've been looking at Jesus. We've entitled it Marvel because that's what he is. He's this miracle worker unlike any other. There have been people throughout history, and God's done miracles throughout history, but no one has done them to the level of Jesus. And as we've been looking at these miracles of Jesus from the book of John, we're going to look at one today in John chapter 6. If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn there. We'll walk through the passage together. One of the things I've loved, though, is you as a church body, you keep sending me your miracle stories, ways that God shows up, sometimes in big ways, sometimes in small ways. Sometimes in really different ways. In fact, I got one this week. It, it made me laugh a little bit. Uh, a gentleman in our body, he, he wrote that his uncle had fallen off a ladder and went into a coma. It was a really serious situation. For two weeks, he was in a coma. And as this young man was talking to his cousin, he could tell that his cousin was really starting to struggle and waver even in his trust and wondering what God was doing. And so he went home that night, and before he went to bed, he prayed. He was like, God, would you give us some insight, some way to get through to my uncle, how he could come out of this coma? 
And, and he went to bed, and while he was asleep, he, he, God showed up in his dream and told him, hey, you need to talk to your uncle about his car, specifically his kit car. His uncle had built a car from a kit, completely built it by hand, really important to him. So the next day he got up, he went to his dad, he said, hey, you need to take me to the hospital. His dad took him up to the hospital, and as they were in the room, he asked his dad to leave. And he sat down with his uncle, and he took his uncle's hand. And he looked him in the eye, and this part that's a little humorous, he, he said to him, even his uncle's in the coma there, he, he said to him, hey, you know what? My cousin told me that I can drive your car. Now, I know it's a manual transmission. It's a stick shift, and I don't know how to drive a stick shift. But if you don't squeeze my hand, I'm going to get up and go drive your car. And right in that moment, his uncle squeezed his hand. In, in fact, his uncle, as he described it later, here's what he said to him. He said, you young punk, you made me so mad that whatever else was going on, I woke up. You're not driving my car. Now, I don't know about you, I hear that story, and it, it's, it's a little out there in some ways. It's different. In fact, all these miracle stories are. I, I would encourage you, maybe you're hearing this series, and, and you don't have much history with Christianity or the Bible, and, and you may think these kind of things are normal to us. That's why they're called miracles. That's why they stand out. That's why Jesus stood out. See, we believe God so controls the universe and he operates in such an orderly way that we can trust him in that. We have the laws of nature that are based on it. But the same God who's in control can also show up in some amazing ways. And we read in the Bible, he shows up in dreams. He shows up in events. He shows up in healings. And particularly, he showed up through the life of Jesus because Jesus was showing us that he's not an ordinary human being, that he actually was God in the flesh. And in the book of John, John picked specific miracles to prove that point so that we could trust him and believe in him. Now, today's miracles around food. God loves to do food miracles. If you read through the Bible, we saw he turned the water into wine. If you look through the Old Testament, sometimes he feeds people with bread from heaven, this manna, that came down. Other times he feeds someone with a bird. I mean, he, he can do food miracles. This one is one of his most broad miracles. In fact, this is one of the only miracles that's listed in all four Gospels. And we call the story, if you've been in church, the feeding of the 5,000. That actually is a low number. As you look in the story, it's a lot more than 5,000. I call it a miracle meal. You, you may have had a happy meal. This is a miracle meal. In fact, look with me in John chapter 6. It says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain and he sat down with his disciples. And Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. So give some context. Jesus is a couple years into his ministry now. And his reputation has grown. I mean, he's really popular. He's been healing people. He's been teaching. And this is right near Passover time. So there would be more people that were coming to Jerusalem. The crowds would be even bigger. People that had lived far away in the countryside, they want to come see Jesus. 
Now you look at it and you go, the story here in John just talks about he went to the other side of the sea. This is where I like some of the other gospels. They give kind of like a story in stereo or other witnesses. They tell us exactly what was going on with Jesus at this point. And when you have the context, you understand it even a little bit more. Because when Jesus went to the other side of the sea, he went so that he could get alone with his disciples. In fact, this is a difficult time in his life. It's right after his cousin, John the Baptist, was killed. And if you know anything about John, you, you read that. John was this fiery prophet. He was a little bit different. I mean, he was rugged. It says that he ate locust and honey. Um, said that he wore a camel coat. And it's not talking about like a Brooks Brother camel hair jacket. It's talking about like a straight off the camel coat. Catch a camel, skin a camel, you're dressed. That was John. And, and so we see John, he, he's this preacher and this prophet, and he would draw crowds, but he also stood up for truth. And because he spoke out against Herod, John was beheaded. And, and we kind of just read through that story, but let me stop for a moment. This is Jesus' cousin. They'd grown up knowing each other. He, he's one of the few people that understood some of what Jesus' mission was all about. And suddenly you hear the word that your cousin was not just killed, he was beheaded. It was gruesome in it. Mark gives some context around it. Look how Mark, when he's describing this same story, said, Jesus said to his disciples, come, come away by yourselves to a desolate, desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in, in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So, so part of Jesus' whole design is, he's just heard this sad news. They're exhausted. They don't even have time to eat. And he takes his disciples and rightfully says, hey, we, need, we just need to get away. We, we have been nonstop ministry, nonstop people, and now we have this really hard news on top of it. So he's taking care of them. The problem is when they get to the other side of the sea, even as they land, there's already thousands of people. They've come because they've heard about him. And I don't know about you, when I hit those points where I'm exhausted, when I'm spent, and specifically if I'm sad and I'm dealing with stuff, last thing I want to do is deal with people. I mean, if I was Jesus, I'd be tempted, let's just get in the boat and leave. Let's just not deal with this or just tell everybody, can you just go away for a little while? Look at Jesus' response, though. Look at it, and it says in verse 34, And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And I love this about Jesus. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. But his first response, and this word compassion in Greek, it's splonchnitsomai. It literally means kind of a gut-wrenching emotion. He looks at them in their pain. He looks at them in their need. He looks at all these needy people out there. Instead of being turned off, instead of pulling back, instead of focusing even on himself, man, he's drawn to them. And he cares about them. As people that were sheep without a shepherd. You know, as I look through this, I think about my life, and maybe you think about yours. In fact, at the bottom of your outline, for each part of this story, just ask some questions. Maybe some things I'd want you to reflect on as you think about it. 
You know, as I look at this part, the question that you see down there, do you allow the hardship and pain in your life to become a reason to turn inward? Or do you allow God to use it as a bridge to love others? I mean, all of us go through pain. All of us go through hardship. And and let me be clear. There's a place when you're in grief. There's a place when you're in pain. There's a place to pull away. There's a place to take care of yourself. Jesus is modeling this for us. And and he, because he's the son of God, he can move through it quicker than we can. I've got friends right now that are going through tremendous grief. And this is a season of rest. And this is a season to pull back. But there comes a point, and and here's my challenge, that, that in that pain and in the hardship that sometimes we pull back and then we allow it to kind of be a wall that keeps us from ever looking outward. And, and life becomes strictly about our pain and strictly about what we're going through and strictly about what we've experienced. See, here's what I love about Jesus. Yeah, he's going through a hard time. Yeah, he's tired. But instead of making it just about himself, man, he relates with the needs of those out there. That's the beauty of our God. That we have a high priest who sympathizes with our weakness. He experienced what we went through. He knows what it means to hurt. He knows what it means to lose someone. He knows what it means to be without. And because of that, he's drawn to the brokenness and the weakness in our life. And he uses it as an opportunity to love others. See, I've seen this over the years pastoring, where people have gone through hardship. And it's amazing to me as I watch some people that as they start processing that pain and they start working it, they begin to turn outward and use it so they can help others. I mean, they they become more sensitive to people around them. They become more caring. They become more passionate, wanting to make a difference. And it's beautiful to watch as God redeems the pain and brings beauty out of it. But you know, likewise, I've seen others that over the course of life, that pain just starts consuming them. And they, they can't see past it. And it can be the pain of loss. It can be the pain of a divorce, pain of a hardship, something in life. And this is all I encourage you as you watch Jesus in this story. I just encourage you to ask yourself, do you allow hardship and pain to be just the focus of your life? Or would you allow God to use it as a bridge is a way you can serve others. And guys, that's why serving is so important. That's why as a church, we call you. That's why we serve across town. That's why Jesus throughout scripture, he's always calling us to serve the least of these. That's why he's modeling it in these stories because he knows how important it is instead of it becoming something that caves in on ourselves that when we start looking outward, when we serve others, it just calls us out of our life. It calls us into what God can do through us. And he redeems what's going on in our life. You know, I heard a story this last week of a boys' school in Cleveland. And the principal of the school wanted to impress upon the boys there, look for ways to serve outward. And the story focused on six high school seniors who were a part of a project to help serve people who died in the city and they had no family. In fact, it focused on this one group as they were going that day to a funeral. 
And the six boys were going to be the pallbearer for a man. This uh, man that died that day, his name was Nicholas Miller. He had no family. Nobody claimed, claimed him. He was going to be buried in a grave with no tombstone. And so these students, they dressed in ties and jackets. They went and served as pallbearers. Together, they read this prayer. They said, Dear Lord, thank you for opening our hearts and minds to this corporal work of mercy. We're here to bear witness to the life and passing of Nicholas Miller. He died alone with no family to comfort him. But today we are his family. We are his sons. We are honored to stand together before him now to commemorate his life and to remember him in death. And as we commend his soul to eternal rest before you. You know, after the ceremony, the students piled back into the van. They're driving back to school. And one of these seniors, Brandon McAdurney, he just said this statement. He said, you know, we're headed back now and we'll jump in back into school and class and taking quizzes. But when you do something like this, it changes your perspective. I love the way he summarizes it. He says, when you get out of your bubble that you can get stuck in in life, you get a perspective on what's really important. See, what he's describing there is, I mean, when you stop focusing on you and you're willing to sacrifice and serve others, then it gives you a broader perspective on life. It's one of the things you'll see in Scripture. It's one of the things you see with Jesus, that he's constantly, he's serving outward, and he calls us to do the same so that we have that perspective. Now, as this story goes, there's a humorous part to it. As Jesus is dealing with his disciples, read on with me. Lifting up his eyes, then, and seeing a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now look at this line. He said this to test him, for he knew himself what he was going to do. Now, you, you read that and you go, wait a second, God does that? Yes, God does that. God will ask you things. God will test you. And so Jesus wants to test his disciples, and he gets Philip, and he says, hey, Philip, there's a crowd here. And so in the story, there's 5,000 men. 5,000 men. It's not the feeding of the 5,000. That was just the men. So the total crowd's probably somewhere 15 to 20,000 people. And Jesus is looking at the crowd. They've been following. Remember, they, they purposely went to a desolate place. There's no town nearby. There's nothing there. There's no facilities. It's getting at the end of the day. Jesus is feeling for these people. They're hungry. And so as he looks at him, he, he kind of tests Philip. He says, hey, Philip, come here. Hey, where are we going to get some food? Now, look at Philip's response. Philip answered him. 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Philip immediately starts doing the math. Jesus tells what he wants to do. Philip immediately goes, okay, how can we do this? All right, and he starts, eh, okay, so let's make the crowd. Uh, uh, 200 denarii is about eight months worth of wages. So he's over here, you know, carry the fours, the, the seven, the, the, he's adding it all up. Uh, 200 denarii is not enough. To, I mean, even if we want to give them a little bit. And you look at the whole thing, you go back to this. Remember, Jesus' whole point is, Philip, I'm not really asking you the math. I'm not asking for logistics here. In fact, you don't have to add up to 200. You only need one. 
one son of a God who's right next to you. Philip, you're with the guy that turned the water into wine. You're with the guy that makes lame people walk. You're with the guy. You've seen all these miracles. This is why the crowd's here. Are you still not getting it? You're still not realizing what Jesus is trying to get him to embrace. And, and as you look at it, notice Philip has this scarcity mindset. He immediately factors it into how would I feed them? Well, if I was going to feed them, I would need money, and I'm going to need 200 denarii, and I don't know where I'd get that much money. And he's putting everything through his grid. Because he has a scarcity mindset, man, we only have this much and we don't have enough. This is impossible in it. Now, I don't fault him, because I can go there too. Especially when I look at what God calls us to do in it. In fact, here's a question I would just have you ask yourself. Do you have a scarcity mindset? And here's what I mean with that. Do you limit what you believe God can do to match what you're able to accomplish? I know I do that at times. I feel God calling us to to reach the Bay Area as a church. Just take the commands of Scripture to make disciples of all the nations, to go out and serve the least of these, to, to clothe those who don't have clothing, to feed those who are hungry around the world, to give water to those who don't have it, to help those in need. I mean, you look at these just core commands of Scripture, and I can immediately look at that, and I hear God say that, and I read it in His Word, and I kind of go, okay, what would it take for me to pull this off? And maybe if we did this, and then we have this resource, and we can do that, and I start limiting it strictly to what I can do. And I think part of the reason God calls us to these overwhelming things, part of the reason he has a conversation like that with Philip is he wants us to come to the end of us. He wants us to realize, man, our limitations are so small. But man, that's when God loves to show up. Read it all throughout the Bible. Over and over again, God always puts his people in these places where they're against the odds. Always puts his people when it's like, impossible and then he loves to show up see we do everything we can to compensate for our weakness and god said i'd rather you embrace it and recognize it in fact i i love the story apostle paul tells about his own ministry paul said he had this thorn in the flesh and we don't know what it was some people think it was something physical with his eyes some think it was spiritual torment that he was under whatever it was paul saw it as a limitation it was holding him back And he prayed. He prayed three times. He's like, God, remove this. Remove this. And in Paul's mind, man, if you would just take away this limitation, I could do so much more for you. But look what God said to him. God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect where? In weakness. When you recognize you're weak, that's when my power shows up. Therefore, and Paul embraces this, he says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, Paul said, God gave me this thorn in the flesh and I saw it as a limitation and God is actually using it in my life to show my weakness. Because in weakness, man, power shows up. In weakness, God can do something. And I would encourage you, and I'd encourage us as a church, 
I think we've come off a year of a pandemic. We've come off a year of limitations. We've come off a year where we've looked at all the things we can't do. We've come off a year that's impacted a lot of people economically, a lot of people health-wise. And we can look at all those things. And even as we think about stepping forward as a church, our first response can immediately begin to look at, okay, here's what we can do. And here's our resources. And here's our limitations. What if God's put us in this place of weakness? Because he wants to show up with his power. And maybe like Paul, this would be a great season. Instead of boasting about our strength, we boast about our weakness because in our weakness, we see God and we see him move. And we can trust him in that. See, it's part of what Jesus is doing in this story. Jesus pulls a Philip aside and he said, hey, how are we going to do this? We need to feed all these people. And, and Philip's at this place. We can't do this. This feels impossible. Now, as the story continues, though, we do have one guy that kind of shows up. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. And, and I love how Andrew kind of throws it out here, but what are they for so many? He almost feels stupid bringing it up. He's like, uh, I do have one lunch. There's a kid here. He's got five loaves, two fish, but uh, <laughs> I feel kind of dumb saying it. I mean, what are we going to do with that, with all these people? And, and as he says it, you know, it, we never have the conversation of how he got the lunch. I don't know if he swiped it from the kid, if the kid offered it with it. If I'm the kid, you know, I just picture this kid. He's going in his mama. I think there's a mama behind this story that she looked at him and she said, uh, no, you're not going to go chase Jesus across countryside without at least taking a lunch with you. And so she packs a lunch. He's got the loaves and the fish and he's there. And if I'm him, I mean, there's part of me that goes, hey, sorry for everyone else but I at least have enough for me. But somewhere in that moment, there's got to be a sacrifice. I'll give up what I have to see what Jesus can do. In fact, Jesus has them all sit down on the grass. And when they sat down, it was about 5,000 men. So it's about 15, 20,000 people. And they got this one lunch. But to have the one lunch, to have the one meal... It took somebody sacrificing. It took somebody trusting enough. I'll give up the little I have to see what God can do through it. And again, here's my question for you as we read through that. Despite your limitations, despite your weaknesses, despite how little you have, here's the question. Are you willing to release what you have to be used by Him? See, it's amazing how we limit ourselves based on our resources. But then when God says, okay, I want to do something, we start holding on to him that much more. We start pulling back. We start, hey, I might not have much God, but, you know, it's enough for me. It's enough to get by. And I think in those faith moments, God asks, hey, what if you placed it in my hands? What if you released who you are? What if you released your gifts? What if you released your resources? What if you really trusted me? like that and it really is a faith step you know i was reading joel clark is a, a filmmaker he's an author for for about 10 years he worked in a church in south africa and it was a hard season in his life and his faith frankly even though he's working in a church his faith started to, to just wither as he described it 
And he was having trouble just trusting God. One night he pulled into a McDonald's parking lot. He had 38 rand in his pocket. He had just enough money for a happy meal. And and he just decided, you know what? (laughs) A happy meal would make me happy. And as he's walking into the McDonald's, he looked over and there were some street kids, four or five kids that were there. And they were everywhere with that kids that were hungry and need. And he kind of just ignored them. And he's walking in to go get his happy meal. And he felt like God said to him in that moment, hey, why don't you buy them some hamburgers? And he's like, "Ooh, is that really God? He starts arguing a little bit. You ever done that where you have that internal dialogue? And, and he went in, he's doing the math, and he's like, oh, I can buy five junior cheeseburgers or I can buy a Happy Meal. Five for them, one for me. And finally, almost in disgust, I mean, as he describes it, his heart was not in a good place. But he's like, fine, God. And, and he bought the cheeseburgers, they handed him the bag. He walked outside. As soon as he walked out, though, it's no longer five kids. Man, there's this big group of kids and he's like what what do i do now he thought about taking them out and just kind of cutting them up and giving them a piece but he just reached in the bag and he started handing them out and he handed out the fourth one and he handed out the fifth one and then he reached in and there was another one and he handed it out and then another one hand and he kept handing out cheeseburgers till every kid had one and he's like, I, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know if McDonald's messed up and sent me a whole bag, but it sure didn't feel like it when I walked out. Here's how he described it. He said, it's my McMoment. He said, I had my McMoment with God. And I love the way he summarizes in that. He said, the lesson was not lost on me. If you give your happy meal to Jesus, it'll go a lot further in his hands than it would in your stomach. I mean, it's just, just that place where God's asking him, can you trust me even with the little bit you have? You've got to let go of it and trust that I can do something through it. Now, look what God does in this story. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. And so also the fish. And I love this line, as much as they wanted. This isn't just a token meal, guys. He's like your grandmother at a holiday. You just keep eating. Eat. Eat as as much as you want. I mean, I'm sure the disciples, I could see Philip at the very beginning when they start handing it out. He's probably, you know, telling everybody, ration, ration. Everybody gets a little bit. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no rations. And he just starts handing it out. And everybody has as much as they, and when they had eaten their fill, literally they're stuffed. They haven't eaten like this in forever. Man, it, it's not a token miracle, guys. He feeds them to their fill. And then he told the disciples, I want you to gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. We're not going to lose anything here. And I love how Jesus does this. They gathered them up and they filled, notice what they fill, 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. How many disciples are there? Twelve disciples. Twelve baskets that are there. And and when the people saw the sign, they they were like, this has to be the prophet. And this has to be of God. 
See, I, I love how Jesus accomplished what he set out to do, but in the process, he has just, just a final twist on the miracle. You got each of these disciples, and they're all walking up, and they each got a basket full themselves. That Jesus didn't just take care of everybody else. He looks at his guys and he goes, I got you too. I got you covered. You don't have to worry about this. See, here's the question I have for us in it. Do you believe that God is able to not only accomplish his plan, but also to take care of you? See, I think sometimes when we talk about these miracles and we talk about the movement of God, we believe, man, God can reach the world and God can grow his church and God can do these things. We, we believe that God can do those things, but sometimes the hardest part is actually believing that in the process of while he's doing his plan, he also cares for his people. He cares for his disciples. He cares for you. That's why Peter tells us, Cast all your cares on him. Tell him literally every care, every anxiety you have. You know why you can do that? Because he cares for you. Because the same God that got out of that boat and his heart was moved, the compassion he had for that crowd is the same compassion he has today. And I love how he shows his followers that when you trust me, when you release, when you believe I can do beyond your limitations, when you give me the meager resources you have, you can trust me not only to do this movement in the world, but you can trust me like he taught in Matthew 6. You can trust the fact that you have a father. So we don't have to worry like the rest of the world because he cares for us. You know, one of the miracle stories that came in, a woman in our body, Kim, I know Kim, and she describes how God did this in her life. She, she said, you know, back in 2008 when the recession hit, it really hit us hard as a family. And I had this pervasive panic because of my insecure childhood. She said before the age of 30, she had moved 50 times, usually out of need and other trauma in her childhood she said i didn't know how to trust god even though i knew the facts from the bible regarding his provision the loaves and fishes lilies and sparrows i had no idea what trusting him looked like or felt like but god used that recession to show up so many times she said i, I would open an envelope expecting a scary bill only to find out she had credit in a store that she didn't know about or other times, she'd open the front door and there would be money left in an envelope for them. One time, she had her small group praying, had a group of friends praying for her because they had a large bill. They didn't know how they were going to pay. And as she was driving to church for a Bible study, they called and they said, you know, as we've been praying about it, we feel like God is telling us we need to pay the bill. And her first response was fear because she immediately thought to herself, she, she was like, did I manipulate them into feeling like they needed to do that? And in that moment, God just stopped her and said, do not give others credit for what I'm doing, what I'm doing through them and what I'm doing for you. You know, amazing part, they, they hit a point as a family where they were about a year and a half behind on their mortgage and didn't know what they were going to do. And in, with all of her fears about moving as a child, of not having a home, and amazingly, someone anonymously 
stepped forward and paid their debt. It's just an amazing story of God's provision. And I love the way that she frames it now. Because now as she is on property, she has a home. She's able to share that home with her daughter and their family and their grandchildren. And she describes it. Listen to her words. She says, having moved close to 50 times before I was 30, God has given me the desires of my heart to stay on this property for the rest of my life, barring unforeseen circumstances. And if they come along, I'll still trust him. Psalm 119.71 says, It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Verse 75 says, In faithfulness you afflicted me. Praise God. Amen. You hear her perspective? She's rejoicing over a psalm that she says, just like David, it was good to go through the hard times because in it, I learned to trust God more. And I saw God show up in a way that I never would have seen him otherwise. I'd encourage you. I don't know what you're experiencing. I don't know what you're up against. I don't know where God's calling you maybe to step out and to trust him. But if these stories teach us anything, you can trust Jesus. Trust that he can work even in your weakness. Trust that he is not limited by your limitations. Trust that he's not only going to accomplish his plans, he knows what he's going to do, and he's going to accomplish it. But he could do it through you. And as he does it, trust this as well. He cares for you. He cares for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for Kim's story. Thank you for these miracles as we see in Scripture, these miracles that you still work today. Lord, as we've said all along, we don't want to worship miracles. It's not about the miracles. It's about the God behind it. And I thank you, Jesus, that you're a God who instead of pulling back from us in our weakness, you move toward us. Instead of scoffing at us in our limitations, you love to pour your power out when we're at our weakest moment. Lord, I pray today, I pray for somebody that's listening to this that needs to trust you more. Maybe trust you with the resources or trust you with the need or trust you with the step of faith. Lord, we believe that the God who's worked in the past will work in the future. We believe that in the same way you moved, you'll move again, you'll do it again. And so we lay our lives before you. We lay this church before you. We pray you would move beyond what we could ever plan, move beyond what we limit ourselves with and do it in a way that brings you great glory. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.